in a world where facts are fun. Okay. Two men will embark on a journey. Coming this spring to a podcast app near you, Fun Fact 67. The Fact <laughs> and the Furious. <laughs> Fun fact. Clothing designed for men and clothing designed for women have buttons and zippers on opposite sides. Yeah, why though? <laughs> the, the reason is because of sumptuary laws from the late Middle Ages. Sumptuary is a word I am not familiar with. Yeah, neither was I. So you've have you've so clearly you've noticed this. Right? Yeah, so, well, um, sometimes you know you you borrow or even just like you borrow your wife's hoodie or, or something or yeah, uh, and it's different. Yeah, it's our jacket or, or something, and it's yeah. for no reason. Disturbingly or, different. I guess I would have said for no reason, but apparently for a reason. For uh, for a reason. The good reason. Yeah. I don't know. We'll find out. We'll find out. We'll go on a journey together. So most clothing designed for women in quotes. Has the buttons and zippers on the left side. Mm -hmm. And clothing designed for, in quotes, men has them on the right side. Mm -hmm. And I've always wondered what that was about. So I finally, you know, decided to try to find out. Actually, I was, uh, I was, I pointed this out to my wife who had never noticed this. And then she said, what's up with that? Mm -hmm. So there we go. So this research led me to this thing I mentioned called sumptuary laws which you is a term i had never heard before clearly a law a term you had never heard before no so a, a sumptuary law is defined by britannica as quote any law designed to restrict excessive personal expenditures in the interest of preventing extravagance and luxury okay so it's like um almost like an austerity yeah kind of yeah law? yeah so typically motivated by religious or moral arguments, although I would say sometimes also, to your point, motivated by economic arguments. Or you could imagine you know. like during a war, it's yeah. like, oh, don't waste this or don't increase be Increase like 10 years ago. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Right. But they've been around since ancient times. But as you might imagine, are notoriously hard to enforce. Yeah. Well, I mean, when people have enough money to maybe be affected by a law that's trying to prevent you from being luxurious, <laughs> you probably also have money to try to find a way Well, it. actually, typically, so, okay, so the, the Spartans, as an early mm. example, a long mm -hmm. time ago, mm -hmm. they were forbidden to own a house or any furniture that was made with anything more complicated than an axe and saw. Okay. And so that was like, a, I guess, you know, something about being, you know, we're tough. Yeah. We don't mm -hmm. want fancy things. No. In the, but by the Middle Ages, various European rulers attempted to make various sumptuary laws to varying levels of success. In France, for example, the use of gold and silver embroidery, silk fabrics, and fine linen was restricted. Hmm. Well, I mean, I assume like the nobles and the king and stuff are allowed to use it. Yeah. This is what I'm saying. <laughs> typically, so it, it, typically, it's a class issue. So hmm. in, in the Middle Ages, yeah, in England, during the reign of Edward II, so we're talking about like early 1300s. I'm just going to assume you didn't know. I did not know. Exactly <laughs> when Edward II was your king. Uh, there was a proclamation against, quote, outrageous and excessive multitude of meats and dishes, oh. which the great men of the kingdom had used and still used in their castles. Oh, multitude of meats. Yeah. The too many meats. <laughs> too many meats. And Law. His, his, his successor, Edward III in 1336, hmm. tried to stop merchants and servants of gentlemen from eating more than one meal of meat per day. I mean that's a pretty good that's a pretty good law. I don't know. I think moderation. merchants and the servants of gentlemen. Oh, okay, but like 
other oh, people. Yeah, I see. see. So it's not yeah. saying like, hey, everybody, let's lay off the meat. It's like, I don't think merchants and the servants of gentlemen are fancy enough to have more That's than right. one meat yeah. meal a day. Yeah. In 1433, the Scottish Parliament passed a law limiting the use of pies and baked meats Ooh, to only those people who held the rank of baron. Or oh, wow. Baron. So pies. A pie is only for a baron. You're not wow. a baron? Get out of here with that pie. <laughs> okay. You're not, you're not pie worthy. Oh, wow. Yeah. And like the history of Japan, full of sumptuary laws. Oh. That, like They're actually kind of the leaders, world leaders in sumptuary law. So that, that they, implies this is like a, um, a concept that humans are inclined to develop independently. Like maybe the idea came from... Yeah, but like, maybe. But it seems that no, but they're it gives excessive, a bit of a vibe like, of it's being independently developed. Like if you are trying to control a population and have yeah. classes you want to enforce... This idea comes up. The Japanese had, I think it's just tied to cl- how strong your classisms are mm-hmm. to some extent. Cause like the Japanese had like this hilariously, con- like everything in daily life, like how big your house could be, what it could be made oh, out wow. of, where it could be, like everything. Anyway, all of this has led us far, far away <laughs> from the original it, fact. Yeah, me too. So buttons, mm-hmm. which came before zippers, mm-hmm. were invented in the late Middle Ages. Okay. During this sumptuary period. And because of those sumptuary laws, only wealthy women were allowed to have buttons on their clothing. Only wealthy women, like no men and no poor women? No, no. all Probably all, maybe all men, but among women, okay. only wealthy women were allowed to have buttons on their clothing. Okay. Okay. And because those women were dressed by their maids, mm. the buttons were put on the side that they would be easiest for the maids to use. Right. And most people are right-handed. Right. Okay. And then the momentum. By the time Zipper showed up, there was already a pattern. They just followed the same pattern. Right. But most women no longer are dressed by their maids. Yeah. (laughs) I would say it's quite rare at this point. Yeah. 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 Um, I feel like that's mostly just an L for women. I... I think it's an L for all of us, to be honest with you. Well, I mean, like, an L for women is an L for all of us. But in this case, definitely, like, this is a thing that's, like, it's been purposely made to be, um, like, less convenient for, for, the, the, wearer for the wearer of the, wearer of the, the thing. thing. And it's something that just women now just kind of deal with indefinitely. Yeah, forever, for no reason. Well, I mean, it's my instinct, and maybe sometimes it's just, like, I make these optimistic proclamations that don't are not bounded on the way the world will actually go but it seems like eventually that some clothing company will be like like a women's clothing company will be like hey our our uh, buttons and zippers are on the side that's actually easier to use um because the sumptuary laws laws from the (laughs) 1500s were bs so and then that'll like it'll change like i feel like if you were to say in 200 years it's still going to be that way if it really is easier to zip on the the side i mean to me it feels a lot easier to zip on the right side because i'm used to it because you're used to it i will say there's two two things one there is some suggestion that perhaps it's easier for people who are breastfeeding because oh. they're holding a child and they have one hand free and maybe it's more likely to be. But I, that seems very... I mean, the percentage of women's lives that they're... I mean, it's an important time. It's challenging, yeah, but... Number one. Number two, you hold babies with both hands. Number three... Y- I, I know, I'm just not really yeah, buying that argument. I feel like that, that like a back... Uh, uh, but I will say that in this modern, more enlightened time of, you know, non-binary and gender neutral and Yeah, and that's uh, and another good like reason that, to do away with it. In this time of more clothing being androgynous and and not, not having quite as strong, like, what makes a hoodie, you know, like, maybe there's a slight different in cut sometimes, but I feel like 
in general, it's just clothing, and I, I, I suspect that will be sort of the end of this. Although I, I could see it perversely an argument of like, well, why should we have to change to the? Why does everything have to be the men's version? But in this case, I think it, it, it's not the men's version. It's the it's the easier to use one that they just didn't give women for terrible, terrible sumptuary related reasons. Yeah, I think in general, like if there's something that that it seems to make sense to standardize the way that historically has been done for net men versus women, you can apply the logic like is the way that men have had it better? Like nobody's like, oh, well, we don't want men's salaries because like, oh, now we're switching to the men's way. It's like, no, we they should have <laughs> the same salaries. Oh, they're higher? <laughs> we're going to the men's you know? salaries? <laughs> Everyone should be lower. Some people probably do think that, but well, they're not the, yeah. it's not the women yeah. that think yeah. that. <laughs> it's <laughs> as a class of people. Yeah. So this is my proclamation. You can follow up in 200 years and, and let yeah, us check know. up on us and uh, see how we're doing. FM and tell us whether or not yeah. zippers are all on the easier to zip side. Yeah. If zippers yep. still exist at that time. If, if, yeah, if we're not all using Velcro, which then would still have the same issue actually. So yeah, I assume so. Yeah. Or maybe just like a, a side list thing that just like nanotechnology. Oh yeah. We're all, it's all like zipping itself or maybe we're back to having people zip us and then you know, <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe robots <laughs> zip us. And so it's more convenient. For yeah, the exactly. The, the Omnibot or whatever zips us. And then it's more convenient for the robot. <laughs> we'll find out. We'll see get the email. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, uh, my, um, my fact I have here is uh, follow up. But it's big enough. There's enough parts to it, and it was interesting enough that it's going into. It's the main fact that I have today, um, and it comes breaking from breaking all the rules. Breaking all the rules. Pike. You can yeah. arrest me. <laughs> <laughs> that would be that'd be a dramatic turn in the episode. <laughs> like, oh, where did you go? Oh, he got arrested. He tried to do follow up in the middle of the episode. Uh, sometimes arrested. it's justified in this case. By the Syracuse of police. <laughs> well, Syracuse does the follow up at the beginning, so he would arrest us anyway. He's already. We're, yeah, we're already out for it. <laughs> um, so last episode we talked about the incredibly large number of combinations. It's a big number. A really big number of combinations that a deck of cards can be shuffled into. And how unlikely it is for two properly shuffled decks um, to be the same, to have the same order of cards. Extremely unlikely. I will say I read one of the links you put in the show notes, oh, no. and, it, and it did sort of support me, I have to say. Oh, okay. Yeah, all right. <laughs> let's... let's I. Let's let's roll and see. <laughs> Maybe we'll get into another argument. So for the last episode, there was an argument. Between that argument is a strong we, we had word. A good, we, we had, we a, had good a exchange. A nice back and forth, yeah. I, I was having fun. To, but we, we were discussing about whether or not, among other things, whether or not it's worth saying that if something is astronomically unlikely, say a, a 1 in 10 to the 68 chance, for example. Phenomenally unlikely. Phenomenally unlikely. Yeah. Um, is it worth saying that it's still possible or can you just say it's impossible? Um, yeah. And this is sort of a lot of feedback. Alan. We got messages from the factors, <laughs> which is awesome. You know, the email address, Fun Fact FM on Mastodon is actually where a lot of it came from. We're getting like more Mastodon messages than Twitter already, which is Very cool. Very nice. Yeah. Um, Good and job, so it's factors. led to some more fun facts. So first off, it has come to my attention in yeah. my research, and this might be what Arik's referring to, that there's a useful word for describing something that's astronomically unlikely, which is to say it's implausible. Yes, which I agree that it's implausible. Yeah, and you, we just that word, I don't think we that word popped up in our conversation. So you're saying it's possible. I'm like, well, it doesn't feel possible. It feels impossible. And you're like, well, it's not impossible. I'm like, well, yeah, but you can if you can say it's impossible in practice. Yeah, it's just not plausible. We, we have, yeah, so that's now that we ha- now that I have that word, I can <laughs> I can more effectively um, discuss very unlikely 
so unlikely that you can assume it's not going to happen. Yeah, it's ex- it, it's extraordinarily unlikely. You were just so definitive. I didn't like the definitiveness. Yeah. You so know. implausible is kind of has a bit of a definitiveness to it because it, it, implausible, like something can be extraordinary. Like um, winning the lottery is extraordinary. Un- no, but way unlikely, more likely. Than- but it's not implausible. No, it's right? way like, more likely. It's than so this. much more likely than this. Right? This may have. This has probably never happened. Right. People have won the lottery. Yeah, people have won the lottery, and and, and yeah. any given person could win the lottery, right? So yeah, uh, yeah. you wouldn't no, normally plan because I don't it, play, right? So in that way, I guess maybe it's you might say it's implausible if someone's like, "Well, how are you going to pay off this loan by the end of the month?" And you're like, "Well, I'm going to win the lottery," and then you might say that's implausible. I would say it's implausible that I'm going to win the yeah. lottery yeah. because I don't yeah. play the lottery. Yeah. Well, that would make it even less likely. Yeah. Um. So that's number one. Number two was a follow-up on uh, shuffling the cards. So yeah. we talked a little bit of like, oh, yeah, we have to, we're assuming random shuffles. Um, apparently, there was some research on what does it take to actually randomly shuffle a deck? Yeah, it was it was harder than I thought, actually. It was a little, it was harder than I thought, too. Um, and so you need to riffle shuffle, which is like the best method of shuffling, a deck of cards seven times to get it to be fully random. Which is a lot of times. It's a lot of times. Less than yeah. that isn't enough. Uh, more than that has no further effect and so what that means is that most casual games of cards if just folks sitting around a table especially if the the pack of cards is new and yeah. so it starts uh, someone i messed on pointing this out as well if the pack of decks uh, pack of cards is new um then they are often start in order and so you're more likely to have the cards come through like if it's not fully not seven times riffle shuffled um and or if the game involves like sorting the cards so if you end up with like a solitaire or something where you end up kind of resorting the, the deck into uh it's full sorted or close to sorted order um then you're going to end up with more likely chances of recurrence if you're hastily shuffling it you're not yeah so you would have to caveat your fact of when properly shuffled i think most of the times at least when i say that i mean like a properly shuffled or fully fully shuffled or randomly shuffled deck Um, right yeah that that, that was interesting and like worth like keeping to account and also if you're playing you know if you're you're, if you're playing uh, a game that is a little more on the competitive side and you know some you sometimes see people kind of do two or three half-assed shuffles in their in their game then maybe you might be like maybe uh Maybe go three or four or five. Seven seven feels like a lot. <laughs> maybe maybe in a casino do seven. Um well the machine goes and whatever, but um uh, so that's number two. Number three. Friend of the show, Brian Clark, among others, wrote in to point out there's a name for the math problem that asks the question that I was asking on the uh, last time, sort of amusing about, which is what is the chance that two fully shuffled decks have ever had the same order of cards. Not the chance, right. because I, I, I was saying the the chance that if you shuffle one deck, that the chance that that's ever happened before is implausible, even though I didn't have that word. So I kept saying it's basically possible, <laughs> but it's but it's implausible that if you yeah. shuffled once that that would have ever happened before. But what is right. the chance that two sh- fully shuffled, properly shuffled decks have ever coincided um, in the same order? And that's called the birthday paradox. And the, okay. Now the birthday paradox isn't actually a paradox. It's just a surprising outcome of statistics. Badly it's named. Badly named. Well, I mean, a lot of I, th- I feel like paradox is kind of fifty-fifty into like, oh, this is actually a philosophical paradox versus it's just a surprising thing, right? <laughs> <laughs> and the birthday paradox is in the a surprising thing category. Uh-huh. Um, and so the birthday paradox tells us, uh, using math, uh, that in in order to have a 50% chance of two people in a room sharing the same birthday. It's like only 100 people, right? You need 23 people. 23? Only 23 people! <laughs> to, hold on. So in order to have two people in the room with the same birthday. Yeah, or, By the way, have you ever met anyone with your birthday? 
Yes, but I don't, not anyone I was close to that I can think of off the top of my head, but it has I've, occurred I've to me. met like one or two in my entire life. Yeah, but you're, but so that's. I will say I have an unusual birthday. So the chance, so yeah, so you're kind of actually hitting on the, you're, the fact that that's where your mind went is why yeah. this is unintuitive. Right, three hundred sixty-five okay. possible birthdays. I don't tend to meet people who have the same birthday as me. Only twenty-three people in a room. You have two people with the same birthday. Why is that? And that comes to the counterintuitive fact that each time you add someone to the room, it increases the chance of a duplicate birthday more and more, faster and faster. It's like when you have one person in the room, you add a second person. There's a one in three hundred sixty-five chance. That right. they have the same birthday, but when you add oh, the twenty third person, yeah, this is like the Monty Hall problem. Yeah, it's it, well, it's not one in three hundred sixty five. Again, it's twenty two in three hundred sixty five. Twenty two because the new person coming in, there's twenty two people that they might collide with. Right, every person that comes in, there's n more. And then people the next person who comes in, there's even more people that they might match with. Right? So it's true, but but yeah. But, but counterintuitive. counterintuitive. Yeah. yeah. And so when you say, well, what's the chance of me meeting, just me by myself meeting someone who has the same birthday, birthday it's, it's one low. in 365. It's it generally, most people don't have uh, 365 people that they're close to in their life, right? So like most people don't. Uh, well, and also, even if I did have 365 people that I was close to, that does not mean that I will have someone with the same birthday as me. It just means that that's the random probability yeah. then, that that would the happen. same thing with the birthday paradox. Like I'm not saying if you have 23 people in the room, you you must have a duplicate. Like that would be 364, like 365. Like the, that's the no, that you... wouldn't be 365. That's what I'm telling you. Like it, 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 these are probabilities. Yeah. That's what, I, what we're saying. So again, thing. if, if you flip, if you flip a coin a hundred times, you might get a hundred tails. That's yes. not the probabilistic outcome, but, the, but that is a possible outcome. Yeah, other than the fact that when you have 365 people in the room, or 366 people in the room, there's a duplicate, right? Because, or like we would say leap day, then 367, right? But like, if you put enough people in a room, there will eventually be a duplicate, right? The, the, yes. If there's 366 people in the room, two people will have the yes. same birthday. Yes, exactly. But it, it, it's not the probability that it's you. No. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Um, so we're on the same page. So that's yeah. called the birthday paradox. And it was uh, great to point out that was useful um, and brought me to no, follow up point number four. <laughs> <laughs> so far number four which was also brought up by some factors this is like the best one in a while like when we talk about something and we get like a bunch of messages and like we're getting yeah. tweets and emails and makes stuff like us that. very happy people are mentioning it to me verbally it's like that's good it makes yeah. me feel good um yeah. so number four is about unique ids so um at least one person mentioned oh, okay this. uu ids and they, yeah exactly so anyone in the programming world will know this uh, sometimes you find yourself when you're making an app or a website or whatever you want to give something a unique identifier. Unique. Unique. So like a post or an image or something in your in your app or your website, you want it to be unique so you can refer to it and say, okay, well, this is image number 7298 or whatever. Yeah. Um, and so a simple way to do this is to just take a really random large number. Uh, so for example, you could take a 64-bit number, which 64 bits, that's one in 16 quintillion. It's a, it's a fairly <laughs> large number. Sounds big. Right, sounds big, right? Say one in 16 quintillion. But if you have a large system like the size of Reddit or Google or Netflix or Apple or something <laughs> like that, then that birthday paradox will quickly 
bite you in the butt, basically. Um, so for, bite BYTE. It will bite you BYTE in the butt. <laughs> There's some good programmer humor for you. <laughs> Which I learned today while researching a fact not interesting enough to make the show was named with a Y so as to not confuse people oh, from bit. Interesting. I, if English yeah. had more of those, spell it differently so you can tell the meaning, that might make it a little bit easier to learn his language. But um, yeah. total aside on that, of course, we have to somehow wedge etymology into the follow-up. <laughs> so, for example, talking about, so we're talking about the these 64-bit numbers. A 64-bit yeah. number can store one in 16 quintillion if you generate a random no? number. Yeah. Um, so you might give each post in your system a random ID in between one and 16 quintillion. But if you have uh, 100 million users, which is many systems that have many, that many users. Including Widgetsmith. Yeah, yeah, like Widgetsmith, a great example, <laughs> right? Which is like, you think of it's like, oh, it's a little indie app. It's had 100 million downloads. And so if each user of your 100 million user system creates 50 posts, that's mm-hmm. 5 billion posts, which is already enough to surpass using the birthday problem, the chance that two of them will have randomly have been the same, even though there's 16 quintillion possible wow. ones. 5 billion posts is enough to to ha- have likely uh, have likely collision. collision. Wow. Yeah. So counterintuitive bastard that uh, that birthday paradox. So the common solution to that, for anyone who is wondering and is still with me on all this, and it's not been like I regret sending in this follow up. Um, I'm still here, is, but I don't have any, I, have, I have no choice. You don't. You don't get. You don't get a pick. The common solution for that is to use instead of 64 bit IDs, use 128 bit IDs, which are generally considered to be. You can safely assume that they're random. They say things like you're more likely to be hit by a mad meteorite than have a 128 bit ID. Yeah, it, it, it's not a. You know the the counterintuitive narrative there would be ah it's only double Mm. but it's it's not because again it's you know it's exponential it's exponential so it's it's a incredibly huge amount more yeah 64 bit really easy to have duplicates 128 bit almost uh, astronomically unlikely (laughs) implausible implausible exactly um and finally that brings us to 0.5 of 5 in my (laughs) follow-up wait so hold on before we before we go to 0.5 of 5 oh so if you're making an app or something, mm-hmm. you ask a system you're using to generate a UUID for you. Typically. Which is just a random 128-bit like number, right? Well, it depends on the system, but like one of the common algorithms will take like a bit of the date and then a bit of like idea of the system making it and then a bit of and then like a whole bunch of randomness and smash it together. Yeah. Now and it's I just think I I just think it's pretty wild that like I'm asking like all of those systems doing that are operating completely independently mm-hmm. of each other. Yes, uh, but still the probability space is so massive they won't accidentally duplicate. Yeah, it's a little bit like the card shuffling, right? It's because like the card shuffling. It's like you can just assume it won't collide. Yeah, you don't have to worry about it. Now on top of that, of course, your you don't need to be unique against every other system generating a number because you're not likely to encounter any of those numbers yeah although there there is a bit of a subversion of that which is like in your in a big uh software installation so like let's say you're running the servers for google like you can't when when a user signs up you can't check every 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 server can't check every single other server it's like oh do you have this id is this used yet is this use id free is this id free for every single number like you don't want to have to do that it would be like ridiculously yeah. slow and so there is a bit of that like what you're saying is like no one would create the, the same duplicate one you have that even within a company where there's a whole bunch of servers off independently creating duplicate things not checking or sorry not creating right but my point is things. that those are not those are not competing those might be competing with a lot of things but they're not competing with everything yes yeah 
Because the Google thing doesn't care about the Twitter tweet ID or the Mastodon yes. post ID yeah. or whatever, whatever. But it's just kind of wild. Like similarly, if with if I seven times shuffle my cards, I can reasonably assume that nobody else has that same order in every possible way. You could, yeah, because it would be implausible. Because it would be implausible. Which brings us to point five of five in my follow up okay. back to the card shuffling. So. Since duplicates in large 64-bit numbers are so possible, I wanted to know how that answer, that question that we keep referring to is, how likely is it that two well-shuffled decks have ever been duplicated? So that out of all the well-shuffled decks that have ever happened, what is the chance that two of them ever had the same order of cards of any pair? Um, which is the two good shuffle. So in humanity's history, and that's the birthday paradox, right? The birthday paradox makes this way more likely than you think because any <laughs> given shuffle is really, really, uh, really unlikely to collide with with a previous one. But if you combine all of them, comparing to all of them, then it's, it's really a lot more likely. And so I turned to Wolfram Alpha, which is this fancy math very uh, site. fancy um and it has a birthday paradox calculator um, hey, nice. so you can just change the numbers and you say it returns the result so you can say like oh well how many shuffles um do we consider might have happened right so you say like okay how, how many possibilities are there well we know that that's 10 to the power of 68 how many shuffles uh ha- have ever happened in humanity's history and so i went with uh just uh the population of the earth is almost 8 billion uh, playing cards arrived in Europe in the 1300s. So let's say 8 billion people shuffling for 800 years. And let's say each person fully shuffled, a f- properly shuffle a deck once per minute for each of those 800 <laughs> years. Let's just assume everyone on earth was doing that. And the, the population of 8 billion was the same for the whole time. Just It might be an overestimate, but just keep things simple, okay? There were not 8 billion people in the 1300s. But let's just, that's just for simplicity. Yeah, I love it. No, you, he's, what he's doing here, folks, is he's... He's he's just going way too high. We just to want to we just want to make to, sure that we're not. I feel like there's an attempt at an own. Here I don't know. Coming, what, we'll, yeah, I don't know what you're talking we'll about. We'll see. So we'll I put see. that into Wolfram Alpha, and it said yeah. standard computation time exceeded because apparently calculating <laughs> this mind-bogglingly time-consuming. But luckily, yeah. there's a formula that estimates the number. This ought to be pretty close. Okay. So I ran that, and it produced a good estimate of the likelihood. It says there's a one in ten to the thirty-nine chance that two shuffled decks have ever coincided so that's way more likely than 10 to the 68 it's way more likely than 1068 but it is still less likely that two properly shuffled decks have ever been the same than the chance of you winning the powerball lottery jackpot on the first ticket you buy and then buying the second ticket and winning the jackpot again and then again a third time <laughs> and then again a fourth time all in a row <laughs> and i don't i don't dispute that (laughs) so i think it's safe to say it's implausible implausible we are fully aligned on the implausible things do happen though so i i think it's it's still super important that we recognize that implausible things are not impossible things so there's a problem with this idea oh no here we go so implausible (laughs) things do happen is the thing that you said last time yes and the problem with that like idea is yeah. that normally when people say and i've heard this argument used for much more nefarious means than what, you, what you're using here yeah. people say well implausible things do happen so we should take into account that the implausible thing might happen I, i'm not saying, saying that saying, but i'm not saying the, that part. i think we should not that, take it into account yes and so i'm not blaming you for the, saying this but yeah. where sometimes people get into that mindset comes from the this idea that implausible things happen when you look at them backwards right so if you randomly shuffle a deck and you look at that order of the cards well there was a uh, a one in 10 to the 60 
68 power of 68 chance that that was the order and so you would say well that was an implausible thing and it happened so look this implausible thing happened but like in in practice the implausible thing is that you if you you predicted that and then you shuffled it and that was the outcome Right. right no for sure i agree with that i'm just saying like the you know i have no idea what the probability was that the universe created itself in exactly this way right mm-hmm. but it did happen yeah because it was going to create itself in no, some way listen in the same yes, way that this jeff will chuck no but and the, the cards were going to shuffle themselves in some way as well and if you're looking back and saying that was implausible technically true but annoying yeah but if you're looking forward and saying that's implausible more but it but it still happens right if you called it in advance yeah, the but implausible I think what thing is you predicting when it. You, and I think when you say implausible things happen all the time, I think that's only true... I didn't say you, they happen all the time. Well, uh, when you say implausible things still happen, yeah, I think can happen. in general, like these astronomically implausible things, like kind of don't happen. But the implausible things, the things that we say are, that we'll say, that is implausible and it still happens anyway. I think generally those are not the statistically astronomical things yeah, just so rolling a one in whatever. If I were to right now sit down and predict every team that was going to be in the World Cup next time and every match that was going to happen and every result that was going to happen and every game total that was going to happen and the winner, it would be more, the probability would be way higher than this. And if I did that and then I was right, everyone would be like, wow, that's incredible. Like that was so unlikely. Yeah, right? but, but I think like... But the probability would be way higher than this. It would be this way more less likely, likely. That Yeah, this is yeah, way, this way, way be, less likely. This is way less likely. But so I'm I think not... When we say implausible things still happen, I think most of the time when that idea gets in our head and it's a thing that we learn that is worth learning is, and like Douglas Adams makes a joke about this in Hitchhiker's Guide, which is like the difference between a system that it will rarely fail and one that cannot fail is that the when the system that cannot fail still fails, that is really hard to fix, right? Yeah. <laughs> right. And so with that, that's not about like, oh, this system failing is statistically implausible. It's like our current science says that this system is difficult, is implausible to fail, but then it turns out our current science was wrong, right? right? But again, you're conflating implausible and impossible because what Douglas Adams is saying is that we think that this system is impossible to fail, but in fact, it was implausible to fail. No, I, that's not what he's saying. He's saying... I read if, the book. Well, no, but he's saying, <laughs> saying you think that it's impossible... Like, when you're trying to make decisions, you think it's impossible. We're back, falling back into this pit again. I you thought think we it's would. Have, I thought we would be on the same page at the end of this. And you're like, no, we're so, close. Impossible we're close. and implausible. Yeah. When we're talking about this version of astronomic, uh, astronomical odds, implausible, uh-huh. impossible, implausible are the same from the perspective of how what, how you make decisions about the world. I agree. But then there's a different kind of implausible, which is the kind of implausible where you say, well, it's implausible for us to have a rogue wave that's 100 feet tall. And and some scientists would say, no, that's implausible. I- implausible. Um, the, the math doesn't work out. But it's actually the reason that there actually are 100 foot tall rogue waves is because the science was wrong. Right, that we we thought it was implausible, but we were actually wrong, and now we know it's actually something that happens all the time, and that's what Douglas Adams is referring to when he's saying you, this thing that you think is impossible or implausible it doesn't matter which word you use for the purposes of we're not making any way for to repair this thing because we think we can ignore the chance of needing to repair it. But then he's saying, but actually, 
your mental model, pretty much everything we know in the physical world generally fails, right? In some way, it's possible for it to, the physical right. objects to fail. And so anytime he's saying, anytime somebody says, I think that it is impossible or implausible for this thing to fail, so I, I'm going to ignore that chance, you are probably have a flaw in your model that's making you say that this is implausible, which I think is very different than this one in <laughs> 10 to the 68 chance of this thing is happening is implausible, which like the we're pretty sure, like, I guess maybe we're wrong about that's- how card shuffling that works it, yeah but like, or, or maybe there's not. some maybe there's some you know function of cosmic rays that adjusts the who the heck yeah knows? or like time travel or something like that like my yeah, point I guess. Is, yeah my point is that like again we completely agree that one can reasonably one can make all of one's decisions regarding the uniqueness of card shuffle order <laughs> fully confident that if the shuffling has been done correctly that they 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 are not going to hit a duplicate and if they did it would be so unbelievably unlikely that it is not going to have any actual impact on anything that anyone should ever care about well it's so unbelievably right? likely that if it occurred then it would be an indication that you you didn't like that it wasn't actually a random full random shuffle right well no because if <laughs> listen if enough decks were shuffled for a long enough time by enough deck shuffling machines eventually you would have duplicates no eventually because if you took every if you took every resource of all of the entire world's ability to create deck shuffling machines and then ran them until the sun destroyed the earth it still wouldn't let's make it let's make an a nigh infinite number of deck shuffling machines and shuffle them infinite then it all becomes ridiculous but no i didn't say infinite but nigh infinite well there's a difference between entering the entire earth into deck shuffling machines and running until the sun destroyed us and and nigh infinite like those are very different let's turn every atom in the in the let's turn every atom in the known universe into a deck shuffling if, machine. that actually would be and enough <laughs> that's what i'm saying but, it, so, but, but oh, it's such a stupid semantic <laughs> argument that i guarantee you everybody uh, listening is like guys shut guys up, just stop, stop. Like, move on with your lives because you know it's oh god i hate this version of me so much too like it just reminds me of like Okay, you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna out myself here. Can I tell you the dumbest version of this I've ever done? <laughs> okay, okay, sure. <laughs> Max pedantic Arik. Yeah. So I was really on like a. I, I, we're really revealing a certain aspect of my personality <laughs> Sorry. That, I, that I don't enjoy. But uh, but when I was 18, mm, uh, Max and, already the worst timing for this kind a, of behavior. absolutely, and had just learned about sort of like the relativism of uh the 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 ways in which our speech is often far less relative than it should be far less relative yeah like the way that we'll make very declarative it is statements oh they just people don't hedge what they're saying they'll they don't say, they just they just yeah. very confidently say things that they have no actual not that, that are probable but they actually don't know yeah right and i was really on like a like a a thing about this and i got into an extraordinarily stupid conversation with a with a friend where um i said i said somehow we got to this point where i said like well they said like well portland maine is older than portland oregon mm-hmm. and i said well how do you know that 
Like, why would you say it that way? Like, you don't know. We don't know that. Neither of us has looked this up. Right. It's just like seems so likely that they it's feel very like likely. you can assume that. Yeah. And they true. want to say it is. And I'm like, you can't say it is. Mm-hmm. You don't know. You could say you think it is. Yeah. And then this turned into a whole argument. It's headed into an endlessly stupid, pointless discussion. And it's so stupid because, of course, first of all, of course, Portland, Maine is older than Portland, <laughs> Oregon. I knew that at the time. Right. I was trying to make like a very pedantic point, <laughs> like about even then about like. Like neither of us, we, this is pre smartphones, right? Yeah. You know, neither of us has looked this up. We neither of us has any knowledge here. You're making an assumption, and assumptions are not something that you should use. And if we actually lived our lives that way, it would be so irritatingly annoying. It would be very difficult right? to communicate about anything because yeah. almost everything that you talk about could have changed since you learned it. Yeah, exactly. Like if you were to actually put in practice. This, if you were to actually take into account the implausibility of this situation, you would live your life in a very stupid way. You would never be able to say anything or make any decision. You couldn't do, say, or, yeah, or make anything (laughs) because everything would be, need to be caveated, which is very different to your point than not taking into consideration that your system you built that you think is infallible could fail. Yeah, well, where do you live? Well, I live I live at this address, or at least last time I checked, I did. <laughs> but I don't, I'm not sure. Right, but I don't know. I mean, I haven't... Maybe, maybe the universe... has been destroyed. Maybe or, it's been destroyed while I've been out. Maybe this is all hallucination. Maybe, maybe the government has changed my address <laughs> yeah. for some reason. Maybe this is all... Yeah, maybe it's all solipsism and you're not even yes. real. okay, thanks, sir. Please, could you yeah. please move Could on? you please yes. stop Can talking please? to me and keep it moving? Yeah. Like, get out of my face. So we fully agree on that. And my only <laughs> disagreement with you... Is that you said impossible and you meant implausible. And that's it. Yeah. It's that's all because I feel like when you learn what is that thing in uh in cal is it in calculus? Where's the there's the um what's that thing called where you basically just ignore it after a while? It's like the the remainder, but it's not the remainder. It's like a little number that you just put in there, and I forget what it's called. It starts with a D, I think. I I clearly remember my math very, very well. But there's something <laughs> where you learn this and it's like, well. There is this thing, but we don't need to talk about this thing because it, it doesn't matter. Infinitesimally, yeah, it's so leftover. small and irrelevant that it's there, and it, it matters if you're doing certain very complicated things. But for the most part, we can just ignore it once we learn it exists. Right. But I do think it's important to learn that it exists. Well, we know that it exists, and it's exactly how much it exists, which is one in ten to the thirty-nine chance. Which is way more likely than one to the sixty-eight. So I still think this was a fun fact, but uh, <laughs> I will never listen to this episode again. I, can promise you that. <laughs> just, I just hate hate everything about uh, about that. So <laughs> I hope it was well, worth the, it. But thanks factors. to all the the factors for writing. Yeah, in thank you. And, we uh, really appreciate both sharing it. that you enjoyed us arguing. I don't know if you enjoyed this second <laughs> attempt at talking through it. There, there have to be people out there as annoyingly pedantic as me, but I can promise you, none of them live in my house. So, I <laughs> <laughs> such right. is the curse. So, speaking of people who live in my house, ah. Uh, this question came from my wife Daria, nice. who has now suffered through this, so it really deserves a nice. Is she still listening? <laughs> I, I hope that. so. Fun fact: When you eat asparagus, you might start to have smelly pee in as little as fifteen minutes. Oh, but you also might not be able to smell it. Well, I mean, I'm the latter. Really? Isn't that isn't that like the isn't like the median person? It's yeah. It's the more common. It's the more common. It's not as high as that, but it's the more common. So this came. The question came from my wife, who asked why the smell happens so quickly. Both of us have the ability to smell it. Mm. So 
it turns out, and I had no idea, so I was like, ah, I'll find out. It turns out that asparagus contains something called asparagus acid. Asparagus acid. Yeah, which is a sulfuric compound that seems to only exist in asparagus. Ah, okay. Which is kind of cool just to begin with. Yeah. So this acid, which sounds bad, is non-toxic. Yeah, I mean, there's so many acids that sound bad. Like we, I think we were talking because the word like, acid we've been trained. Oh no, there's carbolic acid in in yeah, in sparkling like, water. Like, is it bad? It's like carbolic acid is just like carbon dioxide. Like, yeah, it's, it's what makes the soda water soda. It's in your air and your body, like all the time. Yeah. <laughs> but it sounds so that, really but bad. <laughs> it does because we've been trained. Acid, acid, rain. Yeah, yeah. You know. So anyway, it's non toxic, and it, but it produces this sulfurous odor. That you may, maybe not in your case, have smelled. And basically what happens is that when you eat asparagus, your body metabolizes the acid. Mm. And it produces sulfurous byproducts that are extremely volatile. Okay. So they break down fast. That they, exactly. They vaporize very easily. So when you pee, those byproducts evaporate super quickly, which, you know, because air rises, sends them straight up to your nose. Okay. So, but what Daria wanted to know was why it happens so quickly. Yeah, because I still, like the thing goes in your stomach and like I think of vegetables with fibrous vegetables taking a while to to process and then you'd, i guess it'd have to go through your kidneys yeah. and you would th- so people have reported smelling it in as little as 15 minutes which i mentioned in the fact so i didn't as some as a non-smeller <laughs> you, i didn't you, know that it was that fast yeah so they studied this and it, it it's been shown that about 20 minutes after eating asparagus half the acid has already been absorbed oh wow okay is that fast is it, is it maybe because it's so reactive I guess so, yeah, and maybe because it's so um, volatile, yeah. yeah. That fast absorption rate is why it smells so quickly, and it also has a pretty long half-life. The smell can last for up to 14 hours. Oh, wow. But, as we've discovered with you, it doesn't affect everyone, mm-hmm. and there isn't an exact scientific consensus as to why. There are sort of two leading theories. One theory is that some people, perhaps you, don't have an enzyme that's needed to metabolize the acid. Oh. And therefore, you don't create the sulfurous byproducts. Because it doesn't even get digested. Yeah, it's just like, I guess it just gets, you know, ex, you know sent out yeah. at the end. <laughs> uh-huh. And uh, another theory is that you do have that enzyme, you do make the byproduct, but that not everyone can smell them. It seems like so, you would be able to easily, t- like the fact that that's a mystery, like am I creating this byproduct or I'm just not smelling it. It seems like a single study could solve that question. But like, who wants to fund a Why would anyone? Well, study? you say that, like, but at one one study of almost seven thousand people. Oh my god! Okay, <laughs> suggested that roughly sixty percent of people have what's called asparagus anosmia. Okay, which is what you have, which yeah. means that you don't have the ability to smell asparagus pee. Right. That and that specific acid so does i don't know if you know the answer to the question but like does the cooked asparagus like when you're going to eat it does it smell or taste different to us as nosmatic asparagus as, as asparagus as nosmiatics yeah that's a hard thing to say i don't think so because i don't think anything would have broken down at that point so i think it, it would uh, it's only the broken down form of the acid right the acid right. itself is nothing it's just that the metab when you metabolize the acid you produce sulfurous byproducts right or I may or yeah. may not produce it, and well, you may or may not produce it. Right. Yeah, oh. it's uh, it. There's something about like um, uh, something in your in your nose. They they found a genetic modification that alters one or more of your olfactory receptors. Hmm. 
that should respond to the smell. So you're actually like mildly disabled, I guess. I mean, severely, really, because this is apparently <laughs> a really important part of people's it experiences. Is, the crazy thing is it is such a strong smell. <laughs> like it is so so it's, strong it's similar it reminds me of this thing there's like a certain percentage of people that cilantro tastes just like horrible to them tastes like soap tastes yeah. like soap yeah and so one of my brothers was like would react like so emotionally to like cilantro being added to things like that's super interesting in your same family well it was like wasn't one of my was my genetically related oh brother i'm sorry I, did, I made i made family assumptions that i should not have um yeah that's so interesting yeah so i uh i would always heard that you either think it tastes like soap or you love it Mm. and i am very neutral on cilantro Mm. so i don't know it doesn't taste like soap to me i feel like i would know that but i just don't think it adds much to anything i might like can take it or leave it i think in general people have a high variation genetically or or just from person to person in what foods they do and don't like and i think that's just an adaptive thing in the world if you have a population of of humans or any kind of animal eating stuff and different animals some animals like to eat some things and some animals like to eat other things then if you come across like a bunch of poison asparagus or or cilantro or whatever then like your entire tribe just doesn't all die at once you know (laughs) <laughs> yeah did you does 23 and me predict this <laughs> the, the, the cilantro i wouldn't be yeah. surprised did, did you sign did you do 23 and me no it's the kind of thing i would do like i'm much more on the idea of, like i like having more knowledge and knowing things and i i don't but there was enough people saying like yeah giving like these big companies your dna which is never going to change and you can never take back like maybe feels a little not a great idea so yeah I never got around to doing it I did it, and now I'm checking to see if they predict the cilantro thing. And I thought they, I thought they did, but now I don't, I don't see it. But I will say that not everything they predicted for me. Oh, it's in a different section. Not everything they predicted for me is correct. So, but they let's see. They they said I likely can smell the asparagus odor detection, huh. which I can. And they say that I am slightly higher odds of disliking cilantro, but I'm neutral. So maybe that makes sense. Um. Well, this is one of the things, like in the early days of this kind of genetic analysis, there was this hope that like every given attribute of a person, they'd be able to just trace it down to the one gene. Like, okay, it's cilantro gene on or off or uh, Uh the muscular dystrophy gene on or off. It's actually much more complicated. Yeah, it's more complicated than that. And like almost everything is affected by multiple genes. Um, But apparently now with like like scaled up massive amounts of like GPUs and, and, and compute, there's like more and more studies that are trying to like consider like, oh... In this population, what is the effect of like hundreds or even thousands of genes working together? Um, so that's like apparently there's some new techniques to try and analyze cool. things on that. So maybe it'll be a fun fact coming out. Of that I will. Someday. I will say some of them are are very accurate. They're they're really good. Yeah. Yeah. Like uh, less likely than average to be afraid of heights. Correct. Uh, that's genetic. I didn't know. Yeah. Less likely to have a fear of public speaking. Hmm. More likely to have pedantic arguments about probability <laughs> and impossibility. Yeah. Super 99% duper likely to regret things you said on this episode of the podcast. It's a 99% chance that I regret things I said on this episode. And they, and they predicted that. <laughs> Can't argue with genetics. No. <laughs> 